Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me this week, Andy Cross and Jason Moser. Good to see you, gentlemen. Hey, Chris. Hey, hey. It's Earnings Palooza. We have so many big earnings stories to get to. We have no time for a guess, but as always, <laughs> we do have time for a few stocks on our radar. Let's begin with a few trillion-dollar companies. Alphabet's third quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Google's <laughs> online ad business continues to do well. Revenue for Google Cloud was up, and YouTube revenue topped $5 billion. Jason Moser, a lot to unpack. What stood out to you? Um, I, You know, I think... Generally speaking, the the thing that stood out to me, this was a nice recovery from what was a pretty ho hum quarter last quarter. Um, you know, much like Facebook, Alphabet continues to benefit from this massive move from offline to online, and kind of harken back to Satya Nadella's quote from from back in April, where he said, "We've seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months." And Alphabet certainly one of the companies you know helping spearhead that and in benefiting from it as well. But fifteen percent top line growth, uh, very very encouraging. They have nine services with one billion users each. I mean, it's just amazing to really think about. Um, but to your point, a lot to unpack there. Google Cloud continues to perform very well. Uh, they had ended. Uh, the previous quarter with a backlog around $15 billion. And, and for this quarter, they, they brought in revenue of $3.4 billion. It was up 45%, uh, clearly well behind Amazon and AWS, but they're picking up share, which is encouraging. Uh, to YouTube, YouTube ad growth was really strong. It was up 32% from a year ago. Nice recovery. Uh, last quarter, if you recall, they uh, it chalked up about 6% revenue growth, and that was uh, due to some weakness in brand advertising. That brand advertising is starting to come back, and certainly YouTube is has benefited from that. Um, so, so all things considered, I mean, this is this is a business that has a lot of different ways to win. Um, an interesting, an interesting little factoid. A couple of factoids from the call. I just thought thought were kind of noteworthy. Uh, they said, as a sign of the times, views for guided meditation videos are up forty percent since March, and <laughs> DIY face mask tutorials have been viewed over one billion times. So so clearly they are uh, seeing themselves as part of the solution as opposed to part of the problem. And I think that's good. Investors should be happy. That I'm not a shareholder, but that just makes me happy. I am a shareholder and, and yeah, it makes me happy too, Chris. I gotta go over there and look at some of those videos because I can never get those masks on properly. So Microsoft's first quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected, but guidance for the second quarter came in low. And shares of Microsoft down more than 7% this week. Andy, uh, I get the short-term concern of people on Wall Street, but this is such an impressive business. Chris, absolutely. The sales growth of 12% um, was, I think, um, really respectable and higher than expectations, powered by its cloud business. Not to be forgotten, its office in the productivity segment uh, did really well. Hello, Teams. Um, continue to show lots of rapid growth um, and the cloud expectation growth for um, coming for the next quarter up 6% sequential, I think what is what people focus on. But just looking at the quarter, Chris, sales up 12% now, $37.2 billion for the quarter. That productivity and business process business, that's like Office 365, LinkedIn, the Dynamics business, that was up um, 11% in sales, much better than last quarter. The intelligent cloud business um, was up 20%. That was up um, uh, up versus the 17% growth in the fourth quarter. 
Um, the Assure business, that's their big cloud business, that revenue was up 48% among that division. That was an acceleration off last quarter. So that acceleration, I think, may not be continuing as much going forward. I think that's what sends some, some investors a little bit worried and sent the stock down. The operating income, Chris, continued to, to really grow. I mean, that operating income in that cloud business itself was up 39%. That helped drive overall growth because that's now such a large part of their business. The gross margin um, was up 15%. Their operating income was up 25% overall. That drove EPS growth really healthy uh, up more than 30%. So overall, looking at the quarter, Microsoft continues to do really well. And that gaming revenue, can't forget about that gaming revenue, up more than 20%. Xbox Game Pass now has more than 15 million subscribers. So across the board, when you look at all of the businesses, um, for the most part, Microsoft is doing really well. Shares of Amazon down a bit this week, despite the fact that third quarter revenue came in at a record $96 billion. And Jason, I'm pretty sure that record is only going to stand for a few months because uh, the Amazon uh, holiday quarter is just around the corner. It is it is set up uh, for success, that's for sure. And you've got 37% top-line growth for the quarter um, which you know, you couple that with the forty percent top line growth that they recorded just last quarter. I mean, it's really it's still Amazon's world, right? We're just living in it. I mean, this is just a business that continues uh, to to perform so well in in so many different different ways. And, and, and to to your point on the holiday quarter, they're going to enjoy their first one hundred billion dollar plus quarter this holiday season. That's just going to be phenomenal uh, to think about there and and how how. Uh, how how well Jeff Bezos continues to to invest that capital, reinvest that capital back into the business. Uh, you know, looking at Prime Day, that wasn't something uh, that, that was reflected in the quarter's results. But Prime Day, we know, generated more than three and a half billion dollars in sales for the small and medium sized businesses on its marketplace. That was up sixty percent from a year ago. Uh, speaking of of Amazon Web Services, another strong performance there. Twenty nine percent revenue growth. Operating income was up fifty six percent for AWS. Operating margin. For AWS, it was up better than five percentage points, and that's now a forty-five billion dollar plus annualized run rate business. It's still growing like a weed. So, just a lot of different ways for Amazon to win, and they continue to execute. Let me go back to Prime Day for a second because we talked on this show a few weeks ago, uh, going into that week when Prime Day was happening and Apple was having their event uh, to unveil the iPhone twelve. And I think as a group, we said, Amazon's got a little bit more on the line here because they've had some bumps in 2020. They need to execute well. It now looks like uh, it really was a test run for them. I mean, they they spoke to that a little bit on the call. And uh, for anyone concerned about are Amazon packages going to get to me in time for the holidays, they appear to be doing everything they can to make sure that's the case. Yeah, they are. I mean, they, they they did note that costs are going up. I mean, a lot of that is 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 COVID related, but but nevertheless, I mean, they are they are spending a lot on this business to to sort of deal with this new paradigm, so to speak, and the fulfillment logistics challenges that come with that. Um, so so I th- I think you're right. I mean, I think they are they are set up for success this holiday season from a fulfillment perspective. I think the bigger concern really is going to be from a volume perspective, the supply. Um, I mean, are they going to have everything that everybody wants? That could be um, the crimp, so to speak. Uh, and again, I think the, the, the general recommendation for folks out there, don't wait till the last minute. I mean, Amazon is wonderful, but but don't wait until the last minute because it's going to be a challenging season for, for everyone. <laughs> Pinterest is nowhere near a trillion-dollar company, but shares were up more than 25% on Thursday after a blowout third quarter. 
revenue was up, monthly active users, revenue per user, and pretty much everything you would want to see if you were a Pinterest shareholder was up this quarter. Chris, if there's a better reported quarter, uh, I, I haven't seen it. I mean, this is just really impressive. Impressive Revenues skyrocketed 58%, and that was just versus the 30% growth that they had guided themselves last quarter. A monthly active user jumping 37% now to more than 442 million versus 416 million last quarter. Um, in the U.S., the revenue was up 49%. Um, the monthly active users in the U.S. was up 13%. Compared that to the growth in international, which was up 46%. International continues to be the big volume driver, um, but but revenue per user is really driven by the U.S. But that was alone was up 31% versus the growth on the international side of 66% on the per user side. So, and impressively, the profit picture really improved too. Their non-GAAP operating income was 84 million versus minus a, a negative 3 million um, a year ago. So overall, continued to drive a lot of interest in the Pinterest platform as more and more users are migrating there to f- be inspired by the by the um, by the visual representation there. But what Pinterest, the business is doing in their innovation on linking in their shopping, their auto bidding feature now makes advertising uh, much more seamless for those small and medium sized businesses that now are relying more on Pinterest. And overall, just a really nice quarter and the company continues to innovate and take advantage of, of the, the usage that is exploding on their platform. Coming up, Earnings Palooza rolls on. So stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Andy Cross and Ron Gross. Tagging How you in doing, Chris? For, for Jason Moser. I'm doing well, sir. <laughs> Great. Shares of Facebook falling 7% this week. Third quarter revenue grew 22%, but Facebook's users in the U.S. and Canada, Ron, they actually fell a bit. Yeah, and they expect that to continue into the fourth quarter, which is interesting. But as you said, overall, things look pretty strong with the revenue up 22%. Interestingly, that July advertising boycott, you'll recall, really didn't have much impact. This company is largely reliant on millions and millions of small businesses. So, you know, while there were some headline news there, it didn't really seem to make much of an impact on revenue. The shift to e-commerce this year has led to increasing demand for advertising for sure, uh, 2.74 billion monthly active users for Facebook. That's up 12%. Now, total expenses are up significantly. They're up 28%. Their costs continuing to grow as they invest in infrastructure, which includes R&D. Their headcount is up 32% this year. Legal expenses, they've got a lot of stuff going on, up 33%. Um, So, you know, that took a bite out of what would have been a pretty strong bottom line. A lower tax rate helped them get an earnings boost of 28%. But if we strip that out, operating earnings only up 12%. Now, I think what investors are focusing on from a stock perspective is the warning for what they're calling a tougher 2021. Uh, They see significant uncertainty, um, citing privacy changes by Apple, regulatory environment in Europe, uh, increased expenses for many of the same reasons that we just discussed, including headcount and getting people back into the offices once the pandemic starts to wane. Um, so they're expecting a margin decline as a result, and it looks pretty clear to me that investors are not happy about that. Shopify's revenue in the third quarter was nearly double what it was a year ago, and yet shares down around 10% this week. Andy, I get that Shopify has been on fire lately, so the, you know over the past year, uh, this stock has been amazing. This was a great quarter. 
It was, Chris. I think it's just the curse of expectations with a company like Shopify has done so well. As you mentioned, revenue is up 96%, almost a double. Subscription sales up 48%. Their merchant sales, which is things like their payment fees, their shipping fees, Shopify Capital um, did more than double up 132% now, 522 million. Their gross merchandise volume, so all the volume across the Shopify platforms did double. It was up 109%. That was a little bit of a deceleration, Chris, from last quarter at 119%, um, but it is above their pre-COVID level. So they're already back there. So when you look at the kind of merchants that Shopify continues to add to its network, add to its platform and the solutions, importantly, that it continues to evolve. I mean, uh, Jason had talked about um, Amazon preparing for the heavy holiday shipping. Certainly Shopify now with 6% of the e-commerce market, um, the second largest behind Amazon, um, is preparing for that. They're really working on building out their fulfillment network. Um, They have these new initiatives with TikTok and Pinterest. Um, More than half of eligible merchants now use Shopify shipping. That's up from 45% um, last quarter. So um, the profit picture is impressive when you continue to look at the scale that they're building out, but there's just some expectations with a company that has delivered so much so fast with Shopify that it looks like investors may be taking a little steam out of out of the stock. But overall, a really nice quarter from the from the Canadian um, company. Apple shares down more than five percent on Friday. Apple's fourth quarter profits and revenue came in a little higher than expected, but iPhone sales weren't exactly lighting the world on fire, Ron. Yeah, not so great. <clears throat> Sales in Greater China are down 29%. That's the lowest since 2014. And that's largely the result of the delayed launch of the iPhone 12. Now, total revenue was up slightly, about 1%, which the company was quick to point out isn't that bad considering there were no new launches during the quarter. Um, so not too too bad. Total product revenue down 2.7%, driven, as, as you noted, by a 21% decline in iPhone revenue. But some bright spots, Mac revenue up 29%, iPad up 46% as more people um, are using them for at-home learning, service revenue up 16%, wearables up 21%. So some strong um, numbers there. And I would expect to see iPhone you know, regain their growth now that the iPhone 12 will begin to sell um, in November. Um, gross margins up a bit, but operating expenses up 14%. So that actually led to a 3.9% decline in earnings per share. So a decline in, in profits from Apple. Uh, no forecast for the holiday quarter. Investors are not, not happy at all with that. Um, but you know, it's still a wonderful company generating gobs of cash flow, $192 billion in cash. And let's not forget that the Apple One subscription is launching today, which bundles Apple Music, Apple TV+, Apple Arcade, cloud storage starts at $14.99. It is interesting to see the ripple effect as we've seen over the past few months, more companies um, reinstating dividends, increasing dividends, companies starting to give guidance. It is still a little jarring that a company as big as Apple and a CEO as experienced as Tim Cook says, nah, I'm not giving guidance for Q1. Yeah, you know, I guess the holiday quarter is such an important quarter. And so investors, you know, are even more upset to not receive guidance for that versus, let's say, you know, a mundane second quarter or your but, um, you know, he's he's sticking to his his guns and, and we'll just have to wait and see how they look. Starbucks wrapped up the fiscal year with a better than expected fourth quarter report. And what that means, Andy, is that same-store sales in the United States were only down 9%, and comps in China were only down 3%. I, 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 should, I shouldn't both on. Like, this is, 
legitimately better than people were expecting. And it's amazing to me that Starbucks shares have held up through 2020, the extent to which they have. The bucks is on its way back, Chris. I mean, sales were down 8%. Global comps, comparable store sales, down 9%. But that's an improvement from the down 40% last quarter, Chris, down 23% in transactions. Um, that was lower than the last quarter, which was down minus 51%. Average tickets still up 17%, and that was up from uh, or down from up 23%. But as you mentioned, Chris, it was versus the 12% to 17% drop they had estimated for the global and U.S. Um, combined um, comps. And uh, it's overall, just you look at the way that Starbucks has really tried to rebound from this. Um, they're, they've opened 480 new stores. That includes 40% growth and now have almost 33,000 total stores. Their loyalty card, 90-day active members in the U.S., up 10% um, to $19.3 million now. They increased the dividend by 10%, Chris. Their channel development business was up 17%. That's ahead of the market growing 9% in that business overall. Um, they're ready to drink business. Um, those solutions up 15%. Their guidance for, for, the next, for the next fiscal year for their global comps was 18 to 23%. So overall, Looking at the way that Starbucks has rebounded from this, their learnings in China, getting on top of it, they just thought that this, I, I look at this quarter and say, you know, it's not over. They're definitely not out of the um, woods yet, Chris, but, you know, really operating very nicely. They're going to be very judicious on how they open up their stores, being very careful. They're going to close a bunch, even more than they thought so in the, um, in the kind of, in the metro markets that are a little bit more dense. They're really underperforming. So when you look at their investments they're making, the way Kevin Johnson has managed, he and his team have managed this business and rebounded um, from those lows, which were just really drastic earlier in the year. Um, it's been a nice rebound for Starbucks. Andy, I know my family is single-handedly responsible for the increase in sales of pumpkin bread, um, but are we the only folks eating food at Starbucks? Is is, is the food business at Starbucks going to be hurt by the, the model going it, forward? It has. I think it already has. It's really the it's really the, the coffee business. So as I mentioned, the trans as we now go, and I've done this. I've bought more coffee and more drinks. You kind of load up, so the transactions, um, the volume of transactions are down. But when you go there, you spend more. Um, but I think that's mostly on the coffee business and really talking through um, how they are continuing to innovate and serve those those clients. And now mobile orders are a, a full quarter of total sales, and that's up really nicely over the past year. Coming up, more earnings, including one stock that's up more than 25 times in value since the spring. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with Ron Gross. And Jason Moser tagging in for Andy Cross. Twitter's third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected, but user growth is slowing and shares of Twitter down 20% on Friday. Jason, for anyone wondering if this is an overreaction, it's probably worth pointing out that Twitter's business has never really earned the benefit of the doubt. I, I agree with that totally, actually. And, and you know, I, I used to be a little bit more bullish on Twitter. Uh, these days, I, I am certainly a, a bit more bearish, and, and, and for a lot of reasons. I, I think ultimately, uh, though, Twitter Twitter has a growth problem, right? And, and reframing the user metrics can't hide that. Um, and you know, that's what they did when they went to that monetizable daily active users. I mean, I do agree that Twitter as a daily use platform, that that metric is, is more relevant. But when you look at the raw numbers compared to other 
competitors in the space, I mean, it's it's clear as day. I mean, you get Snap with somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 million, the Pinterest at 442 million. I mean, Twitter sitting there with 187 million daily active users. I mean, sequential growth was basically non-existent. Uh, and the revenue growth shows it too. I mean, if you see users were up year over year, now not sequentially, but year over year, users were up 29%. Revenue only grew 14%. Um, and that's a problem. And I think one of the concerns is that they continue to invest in their ad tech, and they continue to delay, uh, you know, rolling out the, this new ad tech, these new features, and in this direct response uh, market that that is such a big opportunity, they're not really able to participate it uh, in, in it to, to its fullest because they just continue to move so slowly. Um, and, and then you've you've got the whole other issue there of becoming more consistent with their their community guidelines and policies. I mean, they can't offer up certain guidelines and standards to then only act another way and then apologize for it later saying it was bad judgment. It just It's a constant state of confusion there. It, it, they need to figure that out. Um, it, it does feel like you know one of those features that they rolled out, the topics feature, which I, I know is a, it could be a little bit of a hot button issue for some people. It did reach 70 million users by the end of the quarter, and that was up 40% from a quarter ago. So maybe that's something that could be sustainable and monetizable, uh, but but that remains to be seen. Regardless, uh, they just they continue to just move so slowly. They have so many things to figure out. It's just it's it's not a very encouraging picture these days. Well, that was something you and I were talking about earlier in the week because we're both pretty active on Twitter. And I remember just asking you on the side, like, hey, they keep pushing this topics thing. Is there a way to shut that off? And you're like, no, I don't think there is. And then when we got the quarterly results and the, you know, the, the growth that you mentioned, I thought, oh, that's why they're doing it. It's like, okay, I find it annoying. But from a business standpoint, I completely understand why they're doing it. I mean, I yeah, I do too. And I guess the question is, will it be sustainable? I mean, it's it's one thing to try it; it's another thing to continue to use it. And and then you look at you look at just the overall environment on Twitter. I mean, it is becoming a very toxic place. I mean, unfortunately, it's so levered to politics, which is really just not a great place to be right now. And 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 so, I mean, I, I think that you know they they have a lot to clean up there on the platform and and on the user side. And and unfortunately, because they're so levered to politics, it, it ultimately is just going to make half their user base feel alienated, which is is going to obviously impact that user growth. So I I don't know that expecting any any user growth is really a reasonable expectation at this point, and that's going to be a real drag on the business for sure. Signs of life from Under Armour. Third quarter <laughs> profits and revenue were higher than expected, and the company sold its MyFitnessPal platform for $345 million. And yes, Ron, that is less than Under Armour paid for it five years ago. But uh, as a shareholder, I feel like they're making progress. Buy high, sell low. Is that, is that the goal? Is, is that the mission? <laughs> you know, revenue is flat here, which is actually a good thing and is better than expected. Online ordering, not the physical stores, drove that beat. Uh, direct to consumer up 17%. Uh, wholesale and store retail was weak, uh, and they're they're attempting to really de-emphasize physical stores to the point that they can. Um, they're going to reduce some North American distribution points. They're going to try to cut two to three thousand distribution points, uh, which will end them with about ten thousand still um, existing by 2022. We saw strength in footwear up 19%, accessories up 23%. I think that's likely reflecting the trend of folks exercising more at home. Apparel a little bit weak at 6%, even though um, lots of us are, 
likely uh, looking to get comfy uh, while we work <laughs> at home. Uh, gross margins were down. Product mix was largely related. Uh, do um, it was the cause of that, including uh, COVID expenses. The company has had $550 million of restructuring and impairment charges so far this year, $74 million just in the third quarter. So right there, that kind of gives you an indication of how this business has been run. Uh, not great. They were slightly profitable, net income, just a net income of $118 million. And as you said, they'll be, um, they'll be getting some cash in the door through that, the sale of the MyFitness app, as well as the uh, Endomondo platform, which they're selling for $85 million as well. Etsy's third quarter report was impressive on the top and bottom lines, but shares falling more than 10% this week, in part because... <clears throat> Expenses are also rising for the specialty retailer. Uh, Jason CEO Josh Silverman says, this is the perfect moment for Etsy to make big investments in marketing. You agree? Well, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think he he's certainly walking the talk. Um, I mean, Etsy is playing some serious offense uh, these days. And, and the good news is for them that it appears to be working like a charm as they continue just to smash their own internal expectations. Uh, to, to your point on the marketing spend, I mean, they they ended the third quarter with consolidating uh, consolidated marketing spend of 127 million dollars that was up 153% from a year ago. I mean that is just amazing the the willingness to spend on this business but it is working. Uh, they they brought in gross merchandise sales of 2.63 billion dollars for the quarter that beat their own guidance which was a range of 2.2 to 2.5 billion revenue of 451 million. Uh, and, and adjusted EBITDA of, of $151 million also beat internal expectations. Uh, they now have 3.7 million sellers. That was versus 3.14 a quarter ago, and 69.6 million buyers versus 60.3 million a quarter ago. Uh, Etsy payments and Etsy ads continue to drive revenue as well. Um, I, I wouldn't be worried about the sell-off in the stock price. I mean, it, it's had a good year, um, and, and it's a business that continues to really, really impress. I think that even even as we uh, get past this pandemic, I mean, this is going to be a company that just continues to see many bright days ahead. The stock of the week is Tupperware. Yes, <laughs> Tupperware. Third quarter profits were three times higher than Wall Street was expecting. Shares are up 45% this week. And Ron, in the spring, this thing was just over a dollar a share, and now it's around 30 so you're telling me it's not only technology stocks that go up. <laughs> This, this is, is not this, this is not cloud Tupperware or Tupperware as a service. This is just Tupperware. This is actually a very interesting turnaround story for people who have not followed it, and I think that's most of us. Um, and it's also helped by you know everyone significantly eating more at home. So you have a turnaround plus the the impact of of COVID. So the turnaround plan includes a new CEO, new executive team. They're paying down debt. They've been over levered for quite some time. They're improving their cost structure. They're selling non-core assets, including real estate. Um, and then you have the benefits of what just took place in the quarter. So sales are up 14%. And you got to remember now that this is still largely a registered rep party plan model. The old Tupperware party um, still is in existence. Their average sales force was up 10% active sales force. And the sales per active sales force was up 10% also. So those two things compound to kind of really um, boost um, some nice growth. Management highlighted new digital tools that reps are using to sell the products in, in these crazy times. 
All regions were up except for Asia Pacific, which was down 6%. But North America, clearly the highlight, up 42%. They delivered $60 million in cost savings during the quarter, and that led to a 233% increase in earnings per share. <laughs> Not too bad. Let me ask uh, the question that I would be asking if we were talking about a SaaS stock or a cloud stock. <laughs> it's up more than 25 times in value since the spring. Is this an expensive stock at this price? Hey, you know what? I think it's only trading for nine times EBITDA, if memory serves me correctly, which is it is not an expensive stock in that regard. regard. But they have to keep turning this business. Um, I'm not sure. I love the continuation of the the plant, the party planning model. They might want to, you know, think of of more multi distribution um, in a, in a bigger way. Um, but it's it's not it's not that expensive. No. Up next, it's not our Thanksgiving show, but we do have a little humble pie that we need to snack on. Details after the break. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Oh, green back. Just a little piece of paper coated with chlorophyll. Can buy me love, love. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here with the entire crew, Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross, <laughs> all together for the home stretch, guys. <laughs> guys, on last week's show, we talked about the latest earnings from Netflix. <laughs> and Ron, I asked you if you thought they were going to raise prices. And honestly, it I wasn't even that objective. I framed it as, they're not going to do this, are they? It was one of those things, like if it was a courtroom, the other lawyer would be like, I object, he's leading the witness. Uh, it turns out we were both wrong. Very wrong. Because, uh, <laughs> we said, no, they're not going to raise prices. And this week, Netflix announced it is raising prices. Its most popular plan is going to go from $13 a month to $14. The premium plan goes from $16 to $18. They got pricing power, Ron, and they are wielding it. I am surprised that they chose to exercise their pricing power during a pandemic when everyone's stuck at home looking for something to do. Um, it, it doesn't actually sit right with me, to be honest with you, but you know, they can do it. We'll see how it, uh, it, it impacts subscriptions. If it does, it probably won't. It's not an incredibly uh, you know, large hike. Uh, it's only been about a year and a half, I think, since their last increase. They've had five hikes in six and a half years, so maybe we should um, have realized that one was, was overdue. But just because of the times we're living in, it, it did take me by surprise. Andy, it's going to be interesting to see um, when the next one is coming well, because at at some point they they got to go over twenty dollars a month. Well, it's not like they have you know any obligations to pay for over the next few years in content <laughs> streaming, so they got like nineteen billion in you know due. So yeah, I think this is just a little bit more evidence of what they think they can raise from a pricing power perspective. I think they have lots more room to go when you look at the competitive landscape out there and the prices they're charging and. And as long as they continue to continue to innovate and get their um, get their people paying more and um, watching more movies, I think it's a good thing. I, I would also just say, uh, I mean, I agree with you, Ron. It does seem like odd timing. I'm not necessarily in agreement with them on that, but it's also to, to Andy's point about about the obligations. Just do a little bit of the back of the envelope math when you get a chance, and, and, and recognize the fact that a bump of a dollar in subscription charges. 
isn't going to make really much of a dent in the obligations that they owe. I mean, they owe a ton of money, and that's always going to be the case because they have to keep on producing all this content. So it is going to be something that I don't know. It feels like it's never going to end. They're going to they're going to run into a wall eventually. But I think expecting these types of price increases for the foreseeable future is is reasonable. Uh, real quick, while we're on the topic of streaming, um, we didn't get to Comcast's quarterly report. Uh, but Jason, the thing that stood out to me. Peacock has more than 20 million signups already. That's a pretty good start they're off to. It's a great start. I think we all had a little bit of fun with it when they were launching it. Maybe that was more. Maybe that was more centered around the name than anything else. But but hey, really, it, you know what? It, it's a lot easier to understand the brand there with Peacock than all of these different HBO iterations and, and you know CBS's efforts at rebranding and whatnot. I listen. I, I tried Peacock. I'm impressed with it. I'm I'm in the middle of watching Mr. Mercedes on there now. Well done, by the way. It, it uh, I think the books were better, but still a good show and uh, and, and it's a good experience. So hats off to them. And, and Netflix has to realize that it's been a long time since they were the only game in town, and there's a lot of good streaming services out there battling for our dollars. So I would just say, be careful how often you raise those prices. Uh, real quick, before we get to the stocks on our radar this week, I don't know if you heard, but there's a presidential election here in the United States <laughs> next week. Um, let's just go around uh, the proverbial table real quick. And Ron, I'll start with you. For anyone who is looking at their portfolio um, and thinking about investing around the election, uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give? I would say stick to stick to your knitting. Just because it's election season doesn't mean you should be doing anything different. I haven't made one move that's directly related um, to the election. We're going to see different policies depending on who wins, different taxes, different different regulatory environments. Buy great companies, hold them for the long term. Jason. Yeah, I think that uh, the best the best action is often inaction. Um, don't don't fall for any knee jerk reactions. Look back at the history of presidential administrations and understand that that markets go up, they go down. I mean, uh, however this this shakes out, just just don't do anything. Don't do anything rash. I almost and, have nothing to add to that great advice, but I, I guess I will say is you, you can expect a lot more volatility, both uh, not just next week, but I think going forward. So you want to make sure you're ready for that and have a have a watch list have a have a buy list ready to go if you have some cash you know sitting on the sidelines you want to put the work because i think over the next few uh, months you're going to get some better prices uh by the way if anyone listening is a member of any of the motley fool services you can go to election.fool.com for more insights and analysis now and throughout next week and if you're not a member of any of our services and you want to check out our flagship service stock advisor get stock recommendations from tom and david gardner their best buys now and a lot more you can go to radarstocks.fool.com that's radarstocks.fool.com get a 50% discount because you are one of our dozens of listeners. Let's get to the stocks on our radar. Our man Steve Broido is back where he belongs, behind the glass. Uh, Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I recently started looking at Wix.com, W-I-X. It's a stock advisor re-recommendation back in August. They're a do-it-yourself website builder platform. Makes it easier and cheaper to create a website with really no design or coding experience needed. Both of my kids have used them to create websites, which is really what got me interested. And I must say it was, was pretty easy. They've got a bunch of things going for them. You know, it, There's no upfront cost if you want to create a website, um, but they do have almost 4 million paying customers as well well. 
trends in social media and e-commerce are, are only adding to the growth in this business. Both co-founders are still really, really involved. Um, and they have a new high-end service, which, which puts them up against Spotify, uh, Shopify, excuse me. So I need to dig into a little bit more on that because that sounds either like, like an opportunity or a risk, and I'm not sure which yet. Steve, question about Wix? Sure, it seems like Wix popped out of nowhere. It was uh, it was Squarespace, and then Wix just out of nowhere. Is, yeah. is is advertising? Can you if you just advertise enough, can you become the the big dog? <laughs> they, they've they've done a good job. Their platform is very strong, and the growth you know has followed along. Uh, Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Yeah, a company I've talked about here uh, on the show a couple of times, maybe Infi, ticker is I-P-H-I. Uh, we saw the news this week that Marvel Technology will be acquiring Infi, um, unfortunately. I was actually looking forward to letting this company uh, do its thing for a while. But but Infi considers themselves in the bandwidth business, right, via its semiconductor components and optical subsystems. Uh, and so Marvel sees this as a great 5G play. I do agree it's a great 5G play. That's why I liked Infi so much. Um, the deal is going to be financed, though, with a combination of cash and stock. And all in, it values Infi at around $163 per share. So you see, obviously, it's trading well below that right now, as, as we see oftentimes when, when uh, stock is a part of, of compensation there. Uh, so there will probably be some arbitrage opportunities for investors. Uh, we don't typically recommend that course of action, though. Uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, we'll be keeping up with it to see if this is a deal that actually uh, ends up going through. It looks like it will, though. Steve, question about Infi? You bet. Will 5G replace my home internet service? Will I all be wireless all the time? No, I mean, it'll be part of the overall solution, though. I mean, we're looking at all sorts of different uh, you know, ways this technology is going to play out. 5G will be a part of it. You've got Wi-Fi 6 that's going to be a part of it as well. Um, and then, hey, Steve, by 2030, we're going to be talking about 6, uh, 6G, so, so just hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Cross, what are you looking at? Steve, I'm looking at EPAM Systems, symbol EPAM, provides outsourced software and technology, digital content consulting for technology companies, Media companies, pharmaceutical companies, financial services, the whole gamut. Founded in 1993 by Arkady Dopkin, who's still CEO. It works with half of the uh, the top 10 banks, 80% of the largest pharmaceutical companies. Has a really admirable track record of being what I call a 2020 company, Stevo. Um, consistent, steady 20% uh, growth in revenue and profits. Um, last quarter, it actually fell below that level. So I'm looking to see when they report earnings next Quarter, if they're getting back to that, it's an $18 billion company. Stock's done really well, up more than four times in five years. Uh, so reporting earnings next week, so a lot to watch to see what they are talking about their market and are their clients willing to spend more with them. Steve? Will a continued pandemic help or hurt this company? No, I think it will continue to help because of their, the consulting, the digital market they play in. Um, it's not a huge driver like it is for like the likes of Pinterest or Shopify, but it does definitely help. What do you want to add to your watch list, Steve? I'm going, is it iFi or IPHI? InFi. InFi. Yeah. Count me in. I'm InFi. Love it. All right, Jason Moser, Ron Gross, Andy Cross, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, thanks guys. That's going to do it for this week's Motley Fool Money. The show's mixed by Steve Broido. Our producer's Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Yeah.